Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is music? Where does it come from? It's such a huge part of our everyday lives, but why does it remain elusive and abstract? Time to give ourselves a reference point for a larger conversation. This is The Soundtrack Show. Welcome to The Soundtrack Show. I'm your host, David W. Collins, and thank you so much, all of you, for your support on our very first episode last week, where we kicked it off with great melodies tell great stories. We're going to continue our overview before we get really involved and really deep on just one project or one score. We talked last time about what music actually is, but very briefly. As I mentioned, this show is for everyone, regardless of your level of musical knowledge. So if you're listening to this show, I'm going to go ahead and assume that it's because you love music, film scores, etc. And that really is the only criteria here for the soundtrack show. Uh, music is a huge part of our everyday lives. I mean, besides what we'll cover on this show, besides the things that we love, movie scores, TV scores, video games, theater, we're bombarded with music every single day. In all sorts of ways, in advertising, in our cars, in shops, at the dentist's office, in the grocery store, on the street, even our ringtones, our hold music, social media, you get the picture. We I mean, we are hearing music all the time, every day. It's almost a part of our waking consciousness, music, always. We spoke last episode about music being a language, that there are musical words and phrases that convey emotion. Um, certain ideas, excitement, sorrow, fear, love, even plot points and characters' thoughts are revealed, all through music. So, the soundtrack show will move forward with assumption number one. Music is a language. Okay. It's a language we all understand. I think we're all comfortable with this. 
mean, we've been hearing it all our lives, like I mentioned. Uh, it, uh, it heightens the emotions of our favorite things, like movies and TV. Um, our reception of musical language is why we're all here listening to this podcast, I'm assuming. We all understand, when it is spoken to us, the language of music. At least on a subconscious level, we all understand the language of music when it is spoken to us. But the issue is this. It's not a language that we all readily speak. And even if we do, we don't speak it so easily. So today, by just taking the simplest look, we're going to take some steps together to bring us closer to speaking this language. Are you ready? Let's do it. So, first of all, let's ask ourselves, why don't we just intuitively know this stuff? Why isn't it as, as common as just walking down the street and saying hello? Well, first of all, music, like any art, is subjective, right? One person's music is another person's noise. So, even having a vocabulary to describe music um, in terms of its, uh, its qualities, its overall um, uh, pleasing qualities or displeasing qualities can be tough because we don't always agree. Uh, we're going to try and get concrete with that today at least as much as we can, right? So that's one thing. One person's music is another person's noise. It's subjective. But really the second thing, and this is really, I think, uh, hopefully something you, you'll all appreciate, even if you have studied music before, the cost of entry is actually really steep to music, to knowing music, to studying music. Okay, indulge me in a, in a story here. So my sophomore year in college, just a few short years ago, uh, <laughs> I'm in a music class. It's, it was ear training one. Okay. And a uh, classmate of mine who sat to my right, we'll just call him Nick to protect the innocent. So his name was Nick. Nick, just in general, just wanted to know why. So anything that the music teacher said, he was just like, why? So he'd say, oh, the circle of fifths is how we get the 12 semitones and key signatures. Why? Well, this is how harmony develops, and why? Well, proper voice leading and strong cadences, why, 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 why? I remember being really annoyed with Nick at the time, and um, it's funny because I, I, I kind of understood things instinctively. I had played in bands and in school and, and uh, you know, rock bands or whatever, and had done a lot of musical theater. I just wanted to know how to do more stuff with music, so I was waiting for more, but again, operating on this assumption that, you know, Sure, it doesn't matter that we're talking about abstract things like scales and, and pitches and rhythms and things like that. I just, I'd been doing it for so long, I never thought about it. But Nick really wanted to know why, why. And I appreciate that as an adult. Where does all this stuff come from? What does it actually mean? This is what I mean when I say the cost of entry is steep. People spend their lives dedicated to musical technique, you know, playing, playing, playing. They spend years in school learning uh, all about um, music notation and all the great pieces that have happened over years and years and years. And to a layperson, it's all just so abstract. I mean, musical phrases are still in Italian. They have been for hundreds of years. And if you don't read music, it's like black ink just scribbled on the pages, unintelligible dots and lines, right? And when people talk about it, they talk about scales, like I mentioned, even I did in the last episode, major, minor, that kind of thing. So, we can hang with some of that, but really, the question remains. Nick, his great questions, remain. Where does it all come from? Does a definition of music, a non-abstract definition of music, actually exist? Are there fundamentally harmonious sounds and non-harmonious sounds? Yes. And yes. 
Uh, one of my favorite uh, music historians and a favorite lecturer of mine, his name's Dr. Robert Greenberg. He actually has uh, a definition of music, and I'm paraphrasing here slightly, but he says, music is a series of organized pitches experienced over time. Or uh, the other flip side of that is a set amount of time. Music is a set amount of time experienced through pitch. Okay, so like I said in the last episode, we can establish at least that music is two things. It's pitch, la 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 la, la right? Or uh, it's uh, rhythm. It's over time, you know, uh, beats, grooves, things like that. Bam, pa 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 bam, pa 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 bam, that sort of thing. Um, today, we're just going to focus on pitch. Why? Because I think it's the most intimidating, uh, personally. And when I talk to people that aren't into music, you know, um, we seem to have a more natural understanding of rhythm. I mean, even our heartbeat is a is a constant rhythm within us. Um, we've all listened to music and kind of tapped along on our steering wheels. We've all gone out dancing. Um, we've all, or at least some of us have done that subtle head nod thing at a concert when we were really feeling it, you know. So we're just going to shelve rhythm for now, and we're just going to talk about pitch. Now, before you go running out of the room, <laughs> I want to play you a couple of film score examples and really just cement this uh, this conversation in what we love. Here are a couple of film score examples, and let's pay attention to the melodies there. And hopefully you will all know these right away. Here's the first one. You'll know this as it comes in. I take it you're familiar with 2001 by Stanley Kubrick, 1968. Okay, you all know that piece. So that's from uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey from uh, by Stanley Kubrick, but it's actually a piece written by Richard Strauss in, uh, I believe, 1896? 1896? Yeah, 1896, uh, called Also Sprach Zarathustra. Uh, forgive me, my German-speaking audience. Um, but uh, Thus Spake Zarathustra, and uh, it was used in 2001. Keep that melody in mind, just that very simple... Right? Keep that in mind. I'm going to play another melody for you. This will sound familiar to you. Check this out. Starting right here. Okay. Okay. Uh, keep that in mind, right? And right, this sound that we talked about last time. The pillars of your house, <laughs> the frame of your house. Keep that in mind. We're going to add another tone to this, and we're going to listen to another piece here. Take a listen here. You all know this. 
Okay, that's Rocky's Fanfare, written by Bill Conti for 1976's movie Rocky. Um, so, again, these are all actually in the same key. They're all in C. Uh, we had this, right? And then we added this note, okay? So we talked about major chords, uh, just to review a little bit. Uh, this is all made of a major chord. And then uh, it does the same thing, but it adds this, uh, this same melody a third higher to spell out this major chord. And then it goes even farther, just kind of moving up the chord. And then just kind of does this uh, little passing tone thing, again, mostly within the chord. Okay? All of these melodies are just made up of this sound. Right? It's C major. All of them. All three of those that I played for you, okay? Let's keep that in our ears as we have this discussion, just to kind of ground this again in what we love here. These all use very simple melodies and harmonic structures. Like I said, the major scale. They're simple. They're classic. And, uh, man, didn't we all picture Rocky Balboa in the ring? Did we all picture, uh, you know, uh, the monolith in 2001 or Superman's red cape as, you know, Christopher Reeve is soaring through the air? I mean, you can picture that as soon as you hear those tunes. They all employ very basic pitches, though, but they're fundamental pitches to our Western music tradition. I'm going to say that again. These are all very basic pitches that are fundamental to our Western music tradition. And what I mean by Western is not Garth Brooks or Clint Black or anything like that. I mean Western civilization from the Greeks through Europe and into the New World over the last 2,000 years or so, especially in the last, like, 600 it's interesting for perspective, uh, movie scores have only been around for approximately 100 years, but this has been going on for years and years and been developed over really 2,000 years since the Greeks. So this is what I want to talk about. Where do these pitches come from? Why are we still using them? Why do they feel so good? Well, I want to tell you via a story about the Greeks. I'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Welcome back. Now, if you're not a musician... This can be your gateway to using another part of your brain to understand music theory. So don't be afraid. If you are a musician like me and you like kind of the artsy abstract definitions of things, uh, you know, you never thought about the science. I was not someone that loved studying math, um, to be completely honest. Um, although when I started studying acoustics in college, that all came back to, to haunt me. My uh, high school trig teacher got the last laugh there, but um you know, this is going to be something that is new to you, perhaps, if you are a musician. Um, either way, musician or non-musician, this, this knowledge is empowering. So, here goes the story. It all started with a scientist and philosopher named Pythagoras, who was born around 569 BCE, okay? So, he's curious about the nature of music. Picture this. Um, he decided to conduct some experiments about why some pitches sound good together, and why do some sound not so good together? Why do some pitches blend in a harmonious way? And why don't others, you know, why do they kind of fight each other? Why do others fight each other? Well, the results that he found absolutely blew him away and ended up consuming a lot of his life's work from then on. And I think you're going to find these fascinating, especially when you consider the pieces we just played. Bill Conti's Rocky, uh, John Williams' Superman, and of course, Strauss, uh, also Sprach Zarathustra. <laughs> Why did I choose that? I just, I just doomed myself to have to say that like five times in this episode. But anyway, keep those pieces in mind as, as we talk about it. Okay, so 
What Pythagoras did in this experiment, and I'm just going to kind of walk you through it here on, on my piano keyboard here in front of me, is he took a monochord. Okay, a monochord, uh, just imagine mono meaning one. It's like a guitar, but it's just got one big string on it. And for those of you that don't know the way a guitar works is that a string is 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 wound tight, you know, between two pieces of wood so that that tension is there. So when you pluck it, it makes a note or a tone, right? So he did this with a monochord. And let's, for um, clarity's sake, say that this was a very, very large monochord. Let's say it was 10 feet long. And just like a guitar, he plucked it. And he got this, let's just say this pitch here. This fundamental pitch. And we're just going to call this, for absolutely no reason at all, we'll just call it A. Um, it actually is an A. That's what we call it nowadays. But we're just going to call this A. Okay? This low pitch here. So... He said, what happens when I take this fundamental pitch and I take that string and I cut it in half? What happens if I do half the length of that? What sound would I get? At half the length, he got another pitch and it went like this. Here was the 10 feet of string on the monochord. And here was half the length, five feet of string on the monochord or one half. We know now that this is also an A. It's what we call an octave, okay? Octave just means that there are eight white keys on the keyboard between these two, right? All right. This is the most consonant, meaning pleasing sound of two pitches, you know. This is the most consonant sound of two pitches playing together, so much so that they almost sound like the same pitch. You know, they almost... When struck together, they blend together so well. So Pythagoras noted this is a two-to-one ratio, as simple a ratio that exists in our universe. Um, so what happens if we take the string again and do one-third of the string? Here was 10 feet. Here was a half. Here's what happened when he went to a third. He got that note, which is an E. It's a three-to-two ratio. Today, we call this... A perfect fifth. Right? See where I'm going? Or again, to do it in C. Right? You can kind of see where I'm going with this here. So, remember when I said that these are like the pillars of your house? Well, this is these are the experiments that happened 2,000 years ago. All right, so we got, we've got this. We've got this. We've got this. What happens if you, instead of doing half or a third, you do a quarter. Ooh, it's another A. Pillars of the house. What about one-fifth? What about one-sixth of the string? What he discovered was a mathematical relationship between pitches. That there is a natural, as in it exists in the natural world, in the order of things, a natural cause for consonants, literally meaning sounds that blend together well, versus dissonance, sounds that don't blend together well. Now, I won't get into frequencies like hertz or kilohertz or anything of that nature today. For now, just know that this became, that these notes became the building blocks of our tuning system or our harmonies, which dictate our scales, our chords, our melodies, our songs. 
Um, this this really became the uh, fundamental building block of our whole system, especially during the Renaissance when composers rediscovered the Greeks, and that was about 600 years ago, and they created this system we have today, which is like I'm literally looking at it right now. If you look at a piano keyboard, you can see it, uh, the well-tempered piano system. Uh, that's uh, That's a story for another day. We'll get into that later. But the point, our system of harmony comes from the natural world. There's actually a, a mathematical relationship between pitches that sound consonant together, that sound good together, that blend together. But wait, there's more. <laughs> what Pythagoras discovered was really actually the first several notes in the overtone series. What is that? Why is it important? Why do you want to know? I mean, I know you're not going to go to a party and drop your latest Pythagorean knowledge that you picked up on the soundtrack show. I know that. But this show's mission is to give us a deeper appreciation for the music and sounds of what we love. This, this talk about overtones that I'm about to tell you, that'll actually go deeper than that. This could possibly change your perspective on everything you hear, okay? The overtone series. First of all, each sound, every sound in the world, doesn't matter if it's, you know, noise uh, or if it's someone speaking, um, every sound has two properties, it's fundamental pitch, and then it's, which is like its tone, right? It's what we describe as its lowest tone. And then it also has its timbre. What is timbre? T-I-M-B-R-E. Timbre is the quality of the sound. It's, uh, it's what separates my voice from another male voice. It's what helps us recognize a loved one's voice from across the room. Um, it's what helps us distinguish a piano from a xylophone or a guitar from a banjo. And it's all made up of these things called overtones. He discovered these overtones. So um, timbre, or the quality of a sound, is made up of these overtones at various different volumes and levels of distinction. It's what makes a sound, any sound, at all, unique. If you continue the overtone series, listen to that ring out. All those notes that I'm playing, as you hear them ringing, they all exist already at slow at lower volumes in that fundamental note that I played. My voice when I'm speaking to you, besides just the normal pitch that I'm doing here, there are all kinds of quiet overtones happening above it that are unique to my instrument, my voice, or your voice, or any sound that you hear, right? That is what makes a sound unique, right? I'll, I'll give you an example. So I actually have a guitar here. Um, and, and for those of you that play guitar or know guitar, so if you if you have a guitar, you've probably heard people do what they call harmonics. Right, this kind of thing. Um, what you're really doing there, here's an A on a guitar. If you tap your if you uh, tap your finger on the on the top string here, or sorry, right in the middle of the string, I actually muted the fundamental, but you can still hear all the overtones. The same is true if you do a third of the string, right? There's your fifth, a fourth of the string. There's your octave, a fifth of the string. There's your sixth, 
or sorry, there's your third. Right. I'm going to take a quick break. More soundtrack show coming right up. Okay, welcome back to the soundtrack show. Overtones. They already exist in every fundamental sound. And when you remove the fundamental, those you can hear those uh, even more. I wanted to just do that for you just to illustrate that those sounds are already there. So, back to the melodies we played. 2001. Remember the pillars, right? Remember the support beams in the house? That's what uh, that's what this sound is, right? This And then it goes major minor. But this, right? The first sounds, first of all, you've got this in the bass going on, right? And then you have the first few notes in the overtone series. No wonder the monolith is 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 so perfectly visualized there. No wonder uh, Kubrick decided to keep this score because Strauss's music really, really fit with just the dawn of, of humankind and, uh, and uh, ancient, ancient history, right? Uh, the beginning of the world. It's fundamentally and mathematically right there, okay? I mean, even, especially with the fifths, right? I mean, even rock musicians know this. That's how power chords exist. Right. Uh, you know, that's right. Even Metallica instinctively knows that fifths are fundamental and awesome. Right. You're not going to play. Uh, you're going to play this. Right. Superman. So we listen to Superman, right? Again, pillars of strength. He's Superman. He is indestructible, right? Right. And only when we uh, really get to uh, the heroism of him that, uh, you know, more, maybe more the human side or the uh, happy side of it. Right. But this this whole idea of strength. There's the overtone series. When you get to Rocky, that's when you add the triadic harmony, right? Right? Here's the overtone series as I played it before. Right? Right? Everything I said about, about major triads there. This is the foundation of Western harmony, the triad. This is how we get diatonic harmony. This is how major and minor scales came to exist. I mean, there are a lot of details in between, but just know that, that this happened. Right. So before I go, I want to leave you with this thought. We mentioned before that one person's music is another person's noise. So this experiment of Pythagoras is not to say that dissonance is not music, that consonance is and dissonance is not. It's actually really quite the contrary in real life. Dissonance um, sounds that are not pleasing. Right. Um, right. Um Mixed and blended with a consonant sound, something that's a little bit more like this, 
you know, um, that's where the true artistry of a composer lies. I mentioned the triad, right? So, you know, this has been around forever, the triadic harmony. Uh, you know, it, it started back in the uh, in the Middle Ages. In fact, the very first... Actually, you Star Wars fans might find this interesting. The very first pieces um, that ever featured two voices working together in harmony, uh, those were called organum. The plural for organum is organa. <clears throat> two voices working together in harmony. Um, so after a while... These chords, this this triad turned into seventh chords. Or I should actually, I'll just keep it perfect in thirds here. Right? Then it turned into this. Then it turned into this. Right? Um, and then eventually, you had composers like Stravinsky that were doing uh, this sort of thing. By the 20th century, the boundaries of Western harmony were pushed incredibly far. You had atonalism, you had serialism, uh, to the point where film composers you know, by the time film came around, had any kind of harmonic language to draw from. And of course, over the years, they have. For contrast, I'm going to leave you with one of the most famous, most effective, and yet most dissonant pieces of film music ever written. Let's take a listen. Yikes. This, of course, is the murder from Psycho, um, and it is about as dissonant as you can possibly get um, in the high strings here. Of course, written by the late Bernard Herrmann. Incredible, incredible film score that we will absolutely get to at one point. So what is music? Well, I hope that this helped us gain a deeper appreciation of its language, its history, and for musicians and non-musicians alike, a fundamental understanding of its nature. No longer in the abstract. I'm looking forward to diving into more musical examples and talking about how music affects character and story. So please send any listener feedback to the soundtrack show at howstuffworks.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Soundtrack Show HSW or Twitter at Soundtrack HSW. And I'm also on Twitter at David W. Collins. Thank you.